Welcome back to episode number 11 on the wealth of self. Our guest in today's podcast is Randy Bryant. Randy is a diversity, equity, and inclusion expert with over 25 years of masterful work in this space. Her confident voice is aimed at creating better workplace environments for minority communities across the nation. Randy's confident voice is one that she had to refine over years of dedicated practice, but she continually harks back to the fact that this confidence developed most rapidly when she began to speak her authentic truth. Growing up in Hampton and Williamsburg, Virginia, Randy was faced with an interesting shift in her perspectives about difference, diversity, and inclusion, spending some of the first and most formative years of her life within walking distance of a major HBCU created an atmosphere of familiarity that was challenged as she continued to grow up and face situations that were a little bit less familiar. At only eight years old, Randy tragically lost her father in a car accident, and by the time she was in her early 20s had also lost her loving mother. Their absence reinforced her desire to make them proud by being courageous enough to be who she was uniquely designed to be. As Randy concluded her studies at Tuskegee University, she began to explore ways in which she could better help marginalized groups in corporate spaces and recognized there was a dire need for authentic conversations instead of silently pushing away problems in the workplace. Randy has made it her mission to create stronger, more equitable, and more inclusive work environments in the corporate models of businesses across the nation. She truly has become a voice for those who feel like they do not have one, and her empowering and encouraging message is one we can all glean a little inspiration from. Let's kick off this conversation with the one and only Randy Bryant. Welcome back from the intro. Thanks for tuning in to The Wealth of Self. This is episode number 11, and I am privileged to have Randy Bryant in the studio today. This is somebody I've had the opportunity to work with in the past, but an inspiration for me and someone who is has just an amazing message. But I wanted to turn it over to you uh, for your intro, and we'll dive in here and just learn a little bit more about you. Thanks so much. It's a little difficult sometimes to talk about yourself. <laughs> it is, it is. You know, I am on a mission to, I tell people it sounds so corny, but I really want to change the world. I want to have some sort of impact yes. on this world. I call myself right now a DEI disruptor, mm -hmm. DEI standing for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. I've been in the field before it was called DEI, yeah. before people talked about it. People weren't talking about it really heavily until after the murder of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. But I've been doing this I'm passionate about it for over 25 years. Yeah. Um, I did my master's thesis on mass multiculturalism. Mm -hmm. And so 
I believe that we don't give enough attention to how do we get people to work together. Yeah. And everybody feels accepted and right. equal and appreciated and safe. Yeah. Um, and so DEI was developed to do that, mm -hmm. but I believe that it has turned into something that people laugh at, that mm -hmm. people don't take the field seriously. I don't think most employees would give their DEI initiatives or programs high ratings. Mm -hmm. And so I'm now honestly somewhat embarrassed to be a part of this really field in a way. Yes, because it has turned to something where corporations use it to to use to to show how to look as if they care right but not do anything it's become yeah. pr yeah and while people are actually suffering so mm -hmm. when i've heard so many people say dei and laugh at it mm -hmm. that i don't want them to think that i'm that person that doesn't care right because this hasn't just been my job it really is my passion i mm -hmm. do care yeah. so i'm I'm trying to disrupt the industry. Mm -hmm. I really am the DEI disruptor. I really am trying to change things. And it doesn't mean I'm going to be friends with a lot of people. Um, I've heard you reference that before. Yes. Like you have to be disruptive and that doesn't always lead to rainbows and butterflies <laughs> and friendships. I mean, you got to make people uncomfortable sometimes. I think I oftentimes make people uncomfortable. I think I make people angry. I think I make people scared mm. and that's hard for, for a recently recovered people pleaser. Uh, <laughs> I am a person who really cared about being liked, spent a lot of my life trying to be liked, yeah. which is part of the reason I probably got into DEI. Um, and so to be the person that most people don't like probably or people don't want to hear from it's hard i'll be honest it's it's still very difficult for me yeah but it matters to me a lot yeah. well that's something that i hope we can dive in on further because yes. i am at a stage in my life where i struggle with that mm -hmm. like i want to be liked i want to make sure that people feel cared about and and i mean that doesn't always lead to the best outcomes it to doesn't. be honest. And you have to be honest with yourself on that front and be able to acknowledge and know when it's time to stand up and and not be brash, but, you know, stand up for what's right and say say what needs to be said. Or as Tash said in our last interview, call a thing a thing. Call a thing a thing. Yes. Exactly. It's you want to be liked, but what do you want more? Right. And so that feeling of wanting to be liked does not go away, doesn't dissipate. But I want more to change people's lives, change people's lives mm -hmm. and to make people's lives just be easier and not, I mean, today I had a friend call me crying and she put in her 60 days notice at her apartment. Wow. Yeah. She's going to leave her job because she feels as if she's been very poorly treated and harassed. And this is a very successful, strong woman. And she was crying and she's, you know, and I'm like, you know, people are really struggling out there. Yeah. So um, I've decided that I'm very cool with being liked by some um, and maybe even being <laughs> disliked by most, but there's some people who love me. <laughs> well, I think where you're at now in your life, mm -hmm. obviously there was a lot of growth that you had to undergo in order to arrive where you are. And that's by no means your final destination. I think you got a lot more room to go. I hope so. But when it comes to the origins of Randy Bryant, let's take it back a little bit. 
where did this all start? Uh, your early life growing up, family structure, those kind of things sort of paint that early picture for you. Yeah, I always tell people I got into DEI, the same reason everyone gets into everything, childhood trauma. <laughs> and and I, it's not totally true, but I had two very fascinating parents. Dad was sent to Morehouse at 15 because he was a genius and they did not know what to do with this guy that was wow. tearing down. Um, he was tearing down the radio towers and things. He was a mathematical genius. So he mm -hmm. went to Morehouse at 15. And I had a mother who was fluent in French um, at a very young age, so much so that the church raised money. And, you know, she went to Paris and France, I mean, all over France. And this was um, a black girl in the 50s mm -hmm. um, doing the things that she did. Um, and I don't even know where she ever heard uh, French for the first time. Yeah. Um, but I had two just really remarkable parents and my mother eventually became a professor at Hampton University mm -hmm. and so you know one of the biggest most elite historically black colleges and universities and so I grew up on that campus until I was nine years old yeah and I every morning we sang lift every voice and sing and although there were every all the professors kids went there so mm -hmm. there was diversity but very heavily a lot of black children right. so i don't think i had to really think about what my blackness meant mm -hmm. so much right then my father tragically died in a car accident on yeah. his way to work um, when i was eight and we moved to williamsburg virginia mm -hmm. And we moved to a neighborhood where a huge neighborhood, Kings Mill Resort, it's still there, it's still huge. And we were the second black family to live there. And wow, um, I shift. started to understand. Yes, I understood what my blackness meant. Mm -hmm. And my mom at that same time, you know, you think you're doing the right thing for your kids. She put me in where I was the only black kid in the school, mm -hmm. literally the only, not only the only black kid, the only minority yeah. in wow. um, oh a gosh. school. Yeah. Although I had great friends. I mean, right. I don't want to act like it was terrible, yeah. but you know, there was a time where, I, I mean, all of us were very close, but I wasn't invited to my friend's skating party in her basement. Cause she's like, my dad doesn't like niggers. Uh -huh. And this, gosh. I thought this was my friend and, um, and little things, our big things, however you want to see it happen like that. Yeah. And so I remember eventually telling my mother, um, if I don't, I want to go to a public school Yeah. because Williamsburg is racially divided, but also it's divided by socioeconomics. Mm -hmm. And I want, so when you went to a private school, that meant you were going to be an only, or, you know, maybe one of two. Yeah. So I transferred in high school or in middle school, I transferred to a public school mm -hmm. and boy, <laughs> I thought I was going to find belonging. Yeah. yeah but I didn't because uh, the black kids thought I was too white and the white kids certainly recognized I was black yeah. and it was a town that was separated by race. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a hard issue because it was separated by race and somewhat socioeconomics. So to be a kid that came from, a family that was doing well socioeconomically, but still black was, you know, a real, 
balancing act. Yeah, a paradigm for these people who've never experienced yes, something like yes. that. Yes, and at that time when you really want to belong and fit in, yeah. there was no fitting in. There was no fitting well, in. Well, <laughs> in critical years, right? Yeah, those, those are, are when years. you're finding yourself. But, yes. You know, you, you hit on something that seems like a very interesting part about Virginia, and it's mm-hmm. that you have this huge D.C. metro area that's culturally pretty diverse. Very. And then you're growing up sort of very close to an HBCU, mm-hmm. but just outside of those circles, you get into territories where there's not much cultural diversity yep. at all. And so that shift that had to be, you know, quite or even when experience. there's cultural diversity, do people actually interact? Is, right. is there inclusion? Exactly. So, you know, you can have diversity without inclusion, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of corporations are figuring out right now. So right. Williamsburg is probably racially diverse, mm-hmm. but you don't see people, Inclusivity right? Of it. Yeah, there's no inclusion of it. And so that is a very interesting uh, thing right there. Yeah. Well, I wanted to hit on this point. I know it's it's sensitive, but the passing of a parent is such a hard thing. Mm-hmm. And as we discussed before we started recording, lost my mom recently. Just a tough thing to deal with. It doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I had a great relationship with mom, mm-hmm. and that has made it more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but in so many ways, it sounds like you know this this passing of your father was a formative shift in your life, where you had to start making some adjustments. Can you walk us through that and what that kind of looked like, how that felt, and how you pivoted in your life, even though you were really young at the time? Yeah, um, I don't think that I recognized how it affected me until, honestly, the last 10 years, because mm-hmm. I was young. Yeah. And um, it, it, it created a fear in me that's about people being there and being gone. But I didn't really understand being gone. I, I guess, I don't know if that makes sense. It also affected my DEI journey in that, I felt I had to work harder to belong in my father's side of the family mm. because all the other grandchildren had their parents alive. Yeah. And so I always felt like the orphan in that situation, mm. if that makes sense. Um, it really taught me about how judgmental people are. My mother, because she was highly accomplished, that in the black community, we have a lot of clubs and things that say, oh, this per- just to really signify that this person has accomplished things. Mm-hmm. We, we've created our whole own inner society. Mm-hmm. And the way some of the people treated her now that when she became single, now her, her husband died. It wasn't yeah, you know, she, through divorce, although choice. that should not have made a, deci- a, a difference, but right. it did. I saw her having to navigate that, you know, people mm. that who she thought were friends, not being friends, which yeah. I think has helped me make decisions. But I've seen as I've gotten older and really I've seen it through my relationships with men. I, I My friends would fall in love and go like absolutely gaga and <laughs> like, you know, it was all, of the, all just right. And I, I do fall in love very deeply, of course. But even when I, and I fell madly in love with the man I married, but even within that, I thought that I was this whole person mm-hmm. and he's this whole person. And it's nice that we've decided to partner on life, mm-hmm. but we still had separate lives. Right. I really, I, because I said, I said, I didn't see it. You know, yeah. my, my mom and she still had a wonderful life mm-hmm. um, after my father died. And so I, I didn't learn this dependence on men. Um, and so at first I used to judge everyone, like, what is wrong with these women? Like, this, <laughs> we're running around, they're crying, we're cutting up people's tires in college. I mean, all the drama, right? I just was like, what? 
people what are sick. What's going on? And then I realized, I was like, they had this traditional two-parent household. They saw this dream that they were trying to get. And I was on this, like, I have all these things I want to accomplish, like my mom did. My mm-hmm. mother actually really blossomed after my father died in some ways, to be honest. Interesting, yeah. Um, and I had these things I wanted to accomplish. And yeah, definitely, I'd love to have like a sidekick guy there too mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm a woman. But it wasn't like my life was centered around this. Right. And I've just now understood that, oh, my viewpoint was totally different. Yeah. Um, but the suffering wasn't the same as when I lost my mother in my 20s um, because I think it almost is, that almost wiped me out. I mean, to be honest, that was almost a uh, ding ding of Randy uh, to be candid. Cause it was just the two of us after my father died. She yeah. was like, it's us, me and you against the world. And right. I'm like, what the hell? What do you mean? It's me and you against the world. What the hell? How are you bailing out right now? Yeah. You know? So yeah, that one really uh, almost killed me. I would say I felt. Yeah. Yeah. And that's at another phase in your life, in your early 20s. You're just finishing a collegiate experience. Can you tell us a little more about that educational journey? And obviously, you're in this place where you're you're fighting isolation because mm-hmm. you're in this uh, this place where, you know, the white kids are not including you, but the black kids are also maybe not including you. And this is resonating so much with uh, Tasha's story. I know. And, and we spoke about that earlier, but... How did you deal with that isolation and finding your voice, even though you weren't a part necessarily of some of these groups that were not being inclusive with you? Well, you know, I was I wasn't isolated. Technically, um, it's funny when I talk to my high school friends now, they think I was super popular because I I really worked both worlds. Yeah. Um, so they I just didn't feel fully accepted but I was seen as that person who hung out with all the people, everybody. Every group, yeah. So I was seen as popular. So it's very interesting that what you're experiencing on the inside is mm-hmm. not what people are seeing from the outside. Exactly. Um, and a very good lesson of being kind to people because you may think this person has it all. Right. And on the inside, they feel as if they're isolated. They're yeah. falling apart. Um, so it probably forced me to be far I'm already a social person but it forced me to be I think more than I would have been more social than I would have been mm-hmm. and it 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 forced me to um I think earlier say kind of like this is who I am yeah because I try to like play it down and then eventually it becomes exhausting right because it's just you just and so I was the kid who went to the police concert and then the next day I would go to the run DMC concert (laughs) and then you know and and it was all real and I liked them all and I just like this is what it is right and so I think that it helped that journey for me Mm -hmm. um but I will say that it caused a lot of pain for me it did yeah. It did. Um, you, it, it's interesting. If you look on social media, you see these pictures of a black kid and a white kid or something. They'll say, oh, racism is taught. It's not the way kids are. And um, which is true. Although we, we can see race. Um, yeah. uh, Babies see race. Um, but we don't attach anything to it. Right. But it's sad because you don't see a whole lot of teenagers like that. Mm-hmm. like you used to. And so something happens, right? And so people are losing friends. They're gaining painful lessons. The world does something to us, which is why I'm doing the work I'm doing, where yeah. your best, best friend for eight years, who was also your neighbor, suddenly you guys aren't hanging out anymore. And it's confusing mm-hmm. because it's not that 
the two of you fell out. Right. It's almost like society pushes you in different directions. Mm-hmm. And that's not good. Yeah. And I think our system and the advent of social media has a way of stratifying our population. We may not recognize it right off the bat, but there are subtle divisions that are created through this atmosphere of social inclusivity and social media and everyone's together, but there's a big but there. There's a huge but. Yeah. But when it comes to your collegiate experience, you talk about early on, you sort of had this interest in DI, but maybe hadn't sort of fleshed out what that looked like. So what were some of those early academic aspirations whenever you think back to your schooling days? I wanted to be Barbara Walters. That's all I wanted to be. (laughs) And my mom looked at me and she said, girl, how many black people do you see on TV? And at that time, it was like Ed Bradley on 60 Minutes. Oprah didn't exist. Yep. And I was like, oh. She's like, you, I know you like to write. You do that in your spare time, honey. Mm-hmm. And you just go ahead and you could teach people. That was it. I mean, the options, you know, it makes me feel very old, but the options did not seem, it wasn't like the yeah. world is your oyster. Go for it. You can be anything. Be it. You could achieve it. No. It was like, look, these are your options as a black woman mm-hmm. in today's society. So what do you want? Be a nurse, a teacher? <laughs> professor. And so I decided on a, uh, I wanted to be an English professor eventually. Um, It was, it was graduate studies that I became really about multiculturalism. But Mm -hmm. I will say that my time at Tuskegee saved my life, Mm -hmm. uh, made me so, I credit it so much for being who I am today. Um, I cannot say enough about that experience where, um, you know, they talk about a double consciousness, W. W.B. Du Bois talked about a double consciousness where you have yourself mm-hmm. and you have, you're always looking at how people are looking at you. Right. And so I believe that when you are from um, an underrepresented group, a marginalized group, um, whether it be, you know, in the LGBTQIA community, your race or anything, a disability that you are, are seeing yourself and then the way people are looking at you all the time. Right. And so when I went to Tuskegee, I didn't have this double consciousness and I could just be me and just freely me, Um, which is hard enough in itself, right? (laughs) Just just that one is hard enough. (laughs) And so it just gave me this confidence that I could do and be anything. That was the first time I felt that, honestly. And so that was very life-changing. And so when I went on to get my master's degree, Thinking about education, because that's what my mom said I could be, was an English teacher. I said, how do I create an educational environment for students so they don't feel like I felt, Mm -hmm. Uh, even with the curriculum? So that's what I started looking at. Because I tell people, I remember the first time I read Maya Angelou, and I said, there's black women writers? I could do that? Mm -hmm. I was so ignorant. And so I thought there were like four, right? I (laughs) I didn't know that that our schools are so monocultural that you think that every great writer is white and male. Right. I mean, they're better now that every great scientist was white and male, yeah. that every great, everything was that's white and male. That's the picture that's painted though. That is. Yeah. And so I got through and I'm like, wait, you know, because that's the curriculum. Right. And um, so I said, wow, when you realize that people who look like you, have done these amazing things, you say, well, maybe I can do some amazing stuff too. And it changes the whole landscape. And so that was my first push, like multicultural curriculum. Mm -hmm. How do we get this in the schools? Yeah. 
Well, I want to take it back just a little bit because mm-hmm. you talked about your mom almost having like this realistic outlook for you saying, yes. look, these are the career options that are most viable. Choose it, go run for it. Mm-hmm. When you think about maybe the limitations that were attached to that, even though the intention was good in the mm-hmm. statement, how did you sort of, how did that affect you as you progressed and saw this floodgate open? Like the world really is your oyster. You can run with this and do whatever you want with it. How do you reflect on those statements, Byer? I understood what she, why she did what she did and why she said what she said. Mm-hmm. Um, she's my mother. I don't know. I don't of course know how death works, but it almost was is like, she knew that she was going to one day leave me earlier than she wanted. So she very much prepared me for, to live this life without her, I believe. And I also believe, which is a whole nother subject that a lot of um, black mothers prepare their daughters Mm -hmm. to make it in a world alone. I don't think that the assumption, as I've seen um, my, my friends with, white that are white with their daughters mm-hmm. and my friends that are black with daughters. I think that white women pre- prepare their ki- daughters with the idea that they will be somebody's mate one day. Mm. I don't think that it's the same in my culture. And so I think she was just like, you'll have a dependable job with some benefits and you'll be okay. Right. If you do, you, you can't, you know, cause I want, I always wanted to travel the world. So it's like, even though she ran off to Paris when she yeah. was a kid, actually later, like literally, she was engaged to a man and all this stuff, Whoa. and she went and moved. Yeah. So, but you know, say what I uh, say, do what I say, not what I do, kind of situation. Um, so I regret. I guess I don't say regret, but I wish I had started on the journey that I'm on now earlier. Right. But I get why she did what she did. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we can all kind of say that it's the hindsight's 2020 thing, right? So you see where you're at and you wish you knew what you knew now sort of situation. But as you start to navigate the early portions of your career, now having these sort of floodgates open, the possibilities are within reach. Where do you orient your mind at this point as you start to think about how you can begin making a real impact in the world? Well, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. I don't think that my impact was what I wish I had been. I feel almost guilty because I wasn't strong enough as a person to be the DEI practitioner that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I was one, you have bills to pay. Um, I, I was very much wanting to be liked and I just was raised to code switch and to be this perfect black woman. And so when I, you know, when I started my company and was out working with corporations, I really did a whole lot of just kumbaya. We all love each other. Difference is great types of trainings. And, um, I, I did what I knew that they wanted me to do. And I'm really Mm -hmm. good at that. I mean, I was, hell, I was the person who was raised. No one code switches better than I am. I mean, I have a PhD (laughs) in code switching, as I told you about how it was for me growing up. And so I was an acceptable black. I mean, what most black parents are trying to raise their kids to be is an acceptable black person. So you can make it in the majority culture because the United States is for the most part, run by um, heterosis, black, white males. Yeah. And so I, I'm very good at it and s- like trained almost like a robot. And mm-hmm. so 
Here I wanted to have people celebrate their unique selves and be in their skin. And I wasn't even doing it. I wasn't even talking about race, really. I was just yeah. like, we're all different. That's We're all different, and we should celebrate our differences. And, you know, God made us to be that way, and amen. It was just very... <laughs> it like, is very kumbaya. Uh, yeah, very kumbaya. I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit, but... And, you know, the people would love me, and they'd have me back, and I was it was great. Yeah. And suddenly people started coming to me. Can I talk to you after this training? Mm. And they would cry. Yeah. I mean, they would cry. I mean, and it was every place I was going because mm. I was a consultant. I was traveling the world and in every place people were crying to me because I think I was the last, as, as terrible as probably my um, sessions were or worthless in some ways, they saw me as a safe space. Yeah. And I was like, this well, is... Well, not worthless in that instance because they felt an opening. Right. And I right? did, I mean, I did a little stuff. I did some stuff, but I mm-hmm. kept it very safe and PC. Yeah. And I was like, people need help. Mm-hmm. So I started a private blog, uh, kind of a place where people could vent. Yeah. Called Beatnik24. And I didn't want anybody to know because I, I was working and I certainly didn't want people to know that I was doing real DEI work behind the scenes. Was there a fear there that there would be a negative repercussion? There would on absolutely your... will have been. A, I know there would have been oh, a negative wow. repercussion. Even on Facebook, I was shut down like 20 times. And we weren't doing anything crazy. Right, yeah. Um, and I, I went under an alias for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then as I started to get near retirement, because mm-hmm. I always said I wanted to retire at 50, I came out. I came out as Randy, um, but I will say that I did not use my married name because um, my husband was in big time in corporate America. I, and I, I think people really need to understand how black people are silenced and how we're scared. I mean, things like the Kaepernick happen daily mm-hmm. for black people. And so I knew I would not get another contract yeah. and things. So I speak out now. I try to amplify the real voices, mm-hmm. but I can do it from a space because I am really not dependent on making another corporate dollar. Right. So I have the freedom to be fully courageous. So I don't judge people who are doing what I did because you have, we have families to feed. We're right. trying to make a living. And I know what to say where I could be probably in the top 10 highest DEI professionals that exist because I've done it for longer than most people. Mm-hmm. I've written two books. I have the education. I've got the credentials. I've right. trained fortune 500. I've uh, done startups, but it's not about that for me. Yeah. Right. And don't get me wrong. I would love to make more money. <laughs> Let me put that out in the universe. <laughs> I would love to be successful. Come back. Yes, yes. <laughs> I would love to be successful, but I have the freedom to do it because I'm not dependent on it to pay right. my bills. Well, that's one of the things that you and I resonate on as, as business owners, yours being much more widespread than where I'm at at this point, but it's the autonomy of having the ability to do what you believe is good work yes. and to pursue those goals and to pursue those missions on your own time and not be beholden to someone else's view. Yes. But when you talk about the sort of safety of those spaces for other people who are operating in the space but haven't achieved or reached the point where they can really separate fully and embark on their own journey, what, what's your message to those people so that that 
thread of hope is still there for them to pursue their own goals continuing down the line. Absolutely. And I'll say the last 10 years before I got here, I did learn strategies mm -hmm. to be impactful yes. yep. while not being what some would call radical, mm -hmm. which I don't think is radical. But so, for instance, providing people with real tools. So yeah. my first book was um, about language mm -hmm. and how people can be. I learned this through growing up in Williamsburg, Virginia, mm -hmm. but also um, being married to a man who had white parents, a black man who was adopted by white parents mm -hmm. and learn that people can love you and be culturally illiterate and yeah. say things that are very hurtful to yeah. you. Right. Yeah. And so providing tools where you can have a more inclusive environment mm -hmm. because you're just learning the language, like yeah. cultural competency matters mm -hmm. and so that's a tool, right? Um, accountability, creating pl creating where if there is a manager who has a team and mm -hmm. the team is not at all diverse, that can be reflected on the person's evaluation, right? right? So there's things that you're making changes and it's, it's done in a very corporate business way. Right. And instead of you saying, okay, there is not one minority on the team, that mm -hmm. was, you know, just doing it in a very, you know, just rational corporate right. way um so just think about kind of finesse the system know what the system is and find ways to finesse it um and what i'm what's interesting to me a lot of corporations don't seem to be noticing they have to change the mm -hmm. world is changing and when they mess up it those mistakes travel the world very fast. We're in a digital society. Yep. So if you do an advertising campaign that is offensive to an identity group, you're going to have a problem. You're going to learn fast. You're going to learn real fast, <laughs> right? Um, the, the, the amount of people now that say they will buy, they, they buy from places that reflect their value system, mm -hmm. right? And so um, some companies have grasped onto that and are kind of faking it. Yeah. But it's just like one of those things you can't fake for long. Thanks for tuning in to the Wealth of Self podcast. The audio-only version of these stories can be found on nearly every major podcast streaming platform from Spotify to Apple Podcasts and many, many more. Your support as we grow this movement is immensely appreciated. You can help us out by leaving a rating, writing a short review, or even sharing it with a friend or a loved one who you feel would benefit from hearing these stories. Finally, if you're interested in seeing the video interview that accompanies these stories, head over to our YouTube channel or our Facebook page for the full viewing experience. While you're there, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe, or follow the channel, and share your thoughts in the comments section. For additional information on how to support the Wealth of Self, head over to www.wealthofself.com. Now, let's get back to the interview. All right, so as you've entered this space into the DEI space and really figured out how to make a name for yourself, I think early on in the conversation, we hit on a point that was sort of fascinating to me, and it's it's almost like a corporate guise, right? That mm -hmm. you've almost become separated or even maybe a little disgusted with the space because it hasn't lived up to its name in the real sense, like what you preach day in and day out. So... Let me, you know, get a little backstory on how you've really made a name, carved that out for yourself in this space and made real change where other people might be a little uncomfortable to touch some of those spots. I started speaking out mm -hmm. 
that's how I think most change happens is people speaking out, just being courageous enough to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. I don't believe most DEI professionals have the power to speak out, to make any real change. They typically are thrown into the situation. They're not given any decision-making. They're not given a budget. They're mm-hmm. not given a staff. Um, and they won't have a job if they upset those that are in charge. Mm-hmm. So it's a real tough situation for most, yeah. not all, but for most. But I've always worked, uh, except for one exception, as a consultant. So I, one would have the freedom to kind of, I, I feel like I had more freedom to speak out and speak up. Mm-hmm. And my voice has become steadier and stronger as I've gotten older and as I've become more comfortable with myself. Yeah. And honestly, as the world has become more diverse and I'm seeing more pain out there, mm-hmm. um, I feel as if I'm yelling at corporations because what's interesting is, yes, I am fighting for the employees. But what the corporations don't understand is if you don't get this right, you will suffer. You will fail. Right. Right. Um, very publicly. <laughs> very publicly. And so, you know, a study just came out by Indeed that 49 percent of all black employees are unsatisfied and in, in looking to leave their jobs. Mm. 49%. Yeah. Well, and I'm half. like, like that should be an alarm sounding for people. That should mm-hmm. be major. And I'm not seeing the reaction, but I promise you that that's not the only identity group that's suffering. Mm-hmm. And so it would behoove companies to ensure that they're creating environments that are pleasant to all people and accepting of all people that people feel safe. Um, they, they better get it. I don't know yeah. why they aren't. So I'm just speaking out on it. I'm right. just, I see myself more, I guess, as an activist, mm-hmm. uh, which than I do anything else. So yeah. I, I write a newsletter. I, um, I'm very vocal on TikTok mm-hmm. um, I, because I see myself as, like I said earlier, amplifying people's voices. I try to I'm hoping that I say what other people don't feel safe saying. Right. But the thing because of repercussions. Right. And my people, people always say, oh, my God, thank you for saying that. And hopefully people will hear it. Mm-hmm. Some people and change will happen that way. Right. Because it's what's interesting to me is that DEI now is very white centered in that it has become about not upsetting anyone everyone must be comfortable how do you make this change and make this space for everyone if the only way that you can participate in this environment is to say things that make everybody happy and comfortable so everyone I know that feels different Mm -hmm. in any way it's basically quiet about it and silently suffering and I'm like silence never in the long run works and so we have to create spaces where they say it's very uncomfortable for me because of this reason mm-hmm. so we can fix it yeah. and they stay a long time within the company. Yeah. But we don't hear people's voices. So I'm trying to be this voice mm-hmm. that says what others are scared to say because they need to get that check on the 1st and the 15th or whatever it is because I get it. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm doing. I'm speaking out in every platform. Um, I thought I would not get hired, but I've been blessed enough to have a lot of companies call me to be a speaker at conferences. Mm-hmm. That really surprised me. And it makes me so proud <laughs> that there's some people who are willing to take a chance. Yeah. A lot of people, major companies I've yeah. been speaking. I've actually had more speaking engagements since I went rogue <laughs> than yeah. I did before. So that's been good. And, and what it tells you is that the universe responds to you being your authentic self. Exactly. It really does. And you don't think that it will. And you're like, I am going to fail. Mm -hmm. And I really, I had decided, I said, okay, I'll never make another dime. 
um, change my budget a little bit, but I'm going to do this. And the universe responded in a completely different way than I expected. It doesn't mean that I don't get a lot of negative feedback. (laughs) It doesn't mean that I don't have nights where I can't sleep because I'm like, I can't believe I said that. Or it doesn't mean I don't get my feelings hurt. And it doesn't mean a lot of people don't like me. But what I realized is that if I get 1% mm-hmm. of companies to say, you know what, this woman right here knows how to make the change, mm-hmm. wants to make the change, and we want to, for real, for real, not just like yeah. Some a facade. Martin Luther King banquet, like I always say, like, that's all I need. I, yeah. You know what I mean? And you start there. It just takes one. It just takes one. Yeah. Well, the thing I've admired so much about you is your willingness to have a conversation and it's, it's almost like your tagline, right? It's time to have a conversation. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're hitting on is that the silent suffering, it doesn't get you anywhere. Nope. It's just sort of pushing things under the rug. But the willingness to open up and have these conversations is where the real change takes place. So when you've reflected on, you know, the, the ability to work with some of these companies who've contacted you and said, we want to start having that conversation, what's been the the tipping point there that you think is a shift? And you think more more companies are sort of moving in that direction or you still feel there's a little bit of resistance when it comes to actually uh, taking the dive and making these changes? After George Floyd, there was a huge uptick. People hired DEI professionals. Right now, a study came out that they are being laid off at higher numbers than even other um, areas are being laid mm. off. So the dedication doesn't seem to be what it was. Right. I believe some people are still dedicated, though. And I think a lot of people mean well, but they don't know how. Mm. They don't know what to do. Yeah. And so they're seeking help, like, okay, and at least they know I'm – frank enough to say this is what you need to do uh, you know and I, I I speak very openly about it like this cannot be a little once a month effort your entire organization needs to be affected by DEI right. are the products you creating are they open to everybody to use mm-hmm. that you consider it there your marketing you know, everything it's not right. like a one little right thing you can do um yeah so I'm like I said I'm very vocal there I'm going around the country doing speeches I um I've written two books. I have a third one that I want to write. I have a good one I want to write. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, about DEI and just like the real deal. Um, but I just haven't gotten to it yet. Mm-hmm. I just came out with these cards that are ca- called truthing cards. Yeah. I created really this cool term concept. called, thank you. I created a term called truthing. And mm-hmm. that really is just, even though you're hesitant and scared, mm-hmm. being able to tell your own truth. Yeah. And I don't think that a lot of that happens. So, the first set of cards were, specifically designed for the African-American community. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it's an ode to my family, too. We talked about, like, how your show is an ode to your mother. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in a family where we would sit around the kitchen table, the dining room table, particularly at holidays. Um, I had fr- uh, family members that were Muslim, uh, Buddhist, Christian. Yeah. I had We had pretty wealthy, successful, one dirt, dirt poor. I mean, everything, right? Yeah. And... Um, I learned so much and mm-hmm. we grew and you know, you, it's hard to hate up close, yeah. right? And you get an understanding, hard, yes. you get an understanding and that helped because I had all of it around me. And so I feel as if that because of all the distractions of TV and social media and things, we've stopped talking about real subjects. Right. And so I created these cards. They are cards specifically designed for the black community that was the first set. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my old. The second yeah. set um, are cards for everyone yeah. where they can question their own biases, how their childhood yeah. shaped their perspectives, um, 
how and why they react to certain things. Mm -hmm. So that should be, um, I'm finishing that up now. So that'll be another set of cards available to companies, to individuals. So we can continue to grow um, and learn. Um, And with the cards, the first set of cards, I've been doing these truthing sessions Mm -hmm. where I get together with a group of people. We ask one question and we talk about it for an hour. And that actually may come out to be a, a, a show like that's yeah, they're talking that about awesome. choosing with randy b which i love yeah, that's a great concept i'm so excited about that yeah. um that is i hope happens because it will start people talking and so yes. i hope they listen because yeah. i want to i was t- i tell them i said while those cards are for a black audience even with there's a lot of diversity within the black community right. and that's important to me yeah. um that these shows are diverse and we have these conversations and I want people yelling at their television mm-hmm. and what do you mean? And, but also seeing other people's perspectives and also seeing that being black is not a monolith. Yeah. Right. I think it'll be great. So that's coming up, I think, really soon. I'm, I, that I'm very, very excited yeah. about. Um, I'm going I'm going in. Like, that's what's happening now. I'm going in like I've never been before. Like Heck I yeah. never have before. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready. I, yeah. I feel like I, everything that has happened to me in my life has mm-hmm. prepared me for right now. Well, it's such a smart idea Thank with you. the cards. It's 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 like gamifying a concept makes people so much more willing to engage in it. Yes. Um, and, and I think about an individual in the Washington, D.C. area named Lori Strong, and she has a nonprofit called Hope for Henry, and mm. it's kids who are suffering with debilitating diseases, real, you know, bad stuff. They're in the hospital environment. Yeah. But similar kind of idea of gamifying hard subjects. Yes. And what that does is it opens people up to say, okay, this is easy. This is accessible. I can talk about this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so, so smart to do that for people because it takes hard concepts that may be uncomfortable to digest. Mm-hmm. And it says, this is possible, yep. you know, read what's on this card, engage with people around you and you can make a change. And listen to other people and other exactly. people's opinion. And that's how unity comes. Yes. Instead of being silent, talking is how unity comes Precisely. really. Cause you get an understanding like what? I never considered it that way. Mm-hmm. Or I never knew you felt like that. Yep. Those conversations are life. It's all about conversation yeah. to me. Yeah. And you had such a profound statement. It's hard to hate up close. It is very hard to hate up close. Shake your neighbor's hand, get to know them. It makes a world of difference. Well, and that's why when people are so anti this or mm-hmm. anti that, I'm always like, well, what are you going to do about your family? Because what I will tell you is that I'm pretty darn sure that within your family, somebody's going to be a, a member of the LGBTQIA community. So, some, I mean, yeah. so it's going to be hard because that's going to be your niece. Yeah. (laughs) Or that's going to be like, it's really hard. And so we really need to start learning to love. And I tell people, you don't have to understand. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to agree. Right. Seriously. I said, you can keep your morals, but you still have to act in a way of, of, of kindness Mm -hmm. and respect. Extraordinarily important. Yeah. To behave Mm -hmm. and lead with kindness, I think. Um, but one of the topics I wanted to hit on is that you've developed a great social media following where you're able to share this voice, share these messages on a daily basis. But with social media, there's the positive side and then there's the negative side. And you mm-hmm. touched on that just a little bit. How have you dealt with some of the negativity that maybe has come back as a result of certain statements and you had to wrestle with those sleepless nights, whatever that looked like? How do you digest that and process it and keep on moving forward? The hardest thing about social media for me is the um, way that we are shut down. The the um, we're censored. So mm. most you could talk to almost any 
black creative, mm -hmm. they've been shut down at least five times. Yeah. Um, what is seen as hate speech mm -hmm. is striking to me. Um, so, and there's no, re there's nothing I can do. Oh there's, yeah. There's no You're never going to get somebody on the line. No, there's no, no Facebook way. and they can decide people again, who are culturally illiterate mm -hmm. can decide this is dangerous. Right. You know, and so that makes me sad. Um, that's the hardest part. Yes. I have probably had to block <laughs> in my life. <laughs> there that has list. to be 5,000 people. I'm serious. <laughs> who come in with hate speech and, um, but it doesn't really affect me yeah. much. It really is people who are like super racist or bigoted are almost like jokes to me. And they always say the same things. Same thing. So same when message. you've seen it your whole life, it's okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I've okay. read that before. Yeah. It doesn't, it literally has no impact yeah. on me whatsoever, except yeah. just a nuisance. Well, do you tie that ability to sort of brush those things off with a former statement that you made, which was basically, you used to be a very adamant people pleaser. Mm -hmm. And since sort of shaking that off, I think you're able to take negative comments uh, with a grain of salt. You know, that's not going to affect me. That's not going to ruin my day. Are those two things sort of tied, your evolution yeah, in that space? And probably. also, yeah. Probably tied. And probably, I am so confident that I'm on the right side of things. Yeah. And I don't think I had that confidence about much when I was younger, but mm -hmm. I'm very, I, I don't know a whole lot. I tell people, I don't know a whole lot, but I know I'm so comfortable in that. I know this, right. You know what you know. I know what I know. So the ins and outs of DEI, I know just from a technical space, but mm -hmm. do, do I know that it's necessary for corporations? Yes. Do I know it's necessary for our world? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and just us as individuals. So right. I'm just like, so like, pfft, like this, it's rare that I'm that way, but this is one thing I'm, I, I got this right. Yeah. And so the only reason that the social media sites upset me is that it blocks the work. Mm -hmm. That part is what that I get upset at the little person, you know, sending me a nasty message from Kentucky, yeah. whatever, but that they shut that I'm censored. Yeah. That, that's very upsetting to me. And that's problematic on a variety of levels. Mm -hmm. And the, the most frustrating thing is you can never get in contact with anybody at no. Facebook or Instagram. Good no. luck. No, there's nothing you can do. And what makes me sad too, and it's, it, it, it really just illustrates how much the work I'm doing is important mm -hmm. is that it, it's, it's sad to me that black love equals white hate to some people, yeah. you know, that me yeah. going against white supremacy means that I'm going against white people because mm -hmm. too complete. There's a system like that. Me saying that I'm going against patriarchy and saying that women should be able to have the same rights yeah. as men means that I, in some way don't like men. I mean, none of it makes, there's no hate. Right. Everything I, what I'm doing is, is really driven by love yeah. and wanting people to feel accepted Yeah, and, and to be able to have the right to be who they are. Mm -hmm. And I talk about it from a black perspective because mm -hmm. when I was not in my skin, I would talk about DEI, about, like I said, we're all different. And list of, you know, you could be gay, you can be this. And now I talk about it from my perspective. Right. I'm black, I'm female. It's a powerful you know, position. I, I identify. It's an and because it's the, it's the right position yeah. because I cannot, it's insulting. I realize for me to try to identify as anything else. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I can advocate for everyone, right. but it's hard for me to tell other people's stories. Yeah. Like, you know, I have my friend um, Kim, who's now KJ and we talk about this. I advocate 
um, for trans rights, but I'm not going to try to tell the story like, and now, because right. I'm going to get something wrong. Exactly. Because as much as I do this, first of all, I'm not culturally literate mm -hmm. about everything because yeah. it's impossible to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you make a really good point there. And it's that, you know, none of us are experts in every field. Nope. Right. We can speak our truth in our in our spot and speak with a lot of authority from that place. But when it comes to relying on others to sort of bring their voice into the fold, have you had an opportunity to do that where you might not be an expert in a specific niche? And you know somebody who is. Oh, yeah. So let's give them that platform. Absolutely. What does that look like for you? No, I just tell people I need you to come speak with me. Or I I, I used to podcast and I'd have people on the podcast. Yeah. And um, in my first book, I have stories that people told me that start each section. Because I, I again, want to amplify voices. So right. I try to act by example. Like this is this is me. I, t I tell people the truth. Mm -hmm. I tell people mistakes that I make. Yeah. Um, and hoping that it gives others the courage to do the same. Right. And that corporations don't silence them. Yeah. Well, you are an empowering person. Oh, thank A you. A to Z. And um, I'm honored to know you. I'm and honored to know you as well. Thank, thank you. you so much for letting me, for amplifying my voice today. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's the, the goal of the wealth of self is to share voices and it's to give people the platform to share their message. And even though it's at its humble beginnings at this point, um, I want to make sure that this is a high quality production and it's highlighting authentic voices. And I've said this to most guests who come on, but, you know, uh, the celebrity voice and the political voice, they're very strong online. There is no shortage of coverage for individuals in those spaces, but the people who are making real impact at the local or regional level, you know, that's where the coverage is missing. Yeah. And I think it's important to highlight those, those entities and those individuals so that more people understand those messages and uh, can resonate with them. But I agree. I wanted to wrap with two sort of final questions. Mm -hmm. One is that this is a big year for you. It's 2023. You're doing big things. Tell us a little bit more about the goals that you've set out for yourself and what you want to accomplish in the coming years. I want to learn Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good <laughs> it has one. Has nothing yeah. to do, um, but I recently um, got a place in Dominican Republic and oh. do get your citizenship if you're bilingual. I speak Spanish, and I've, I've I speak Spanglish, mm -hmm. but I really would like to get better at that. And you've had opportunities to go back and forth down there, and it's yes. like you've had some incredible. I've seen some of your stuff on social yes. media. It's like. A little nicer weather down there than the weather right wasn't was I, I don't like diversity of weather that is the one area <laughs> that i'm pretty yeah i pretty much like warm weather for the yeah. most part um so that's a goal with with my job it really is to get those other sets of cards talking really to get people talking that yeah. I, getting people to have conversations i um, would like to host my first retreat um for black women. I did that for my 50th birthday yeah. and I would like to do that more in a professional, mm -hmm. uh, setting for people to offer because I know that black women in particularly in particular, or at least maybe I know their stories. I'm more, I'm closer to their stories mm -hmm. are, have, are suffering. They're, you know, it's, it's hard out right. here. And so I would like to have that retreat, um, get the second set of cards out mm -hmm. and get truthing the show like happening. Like that's yeah. big to me and my online university, which you know about. Yes. Still haven't kicked that off, but where I can teach corporations how to really do DEI right. Yeah. yeah. And that is a major goal of mine. Actually, it's, that's really high up there. Um, 
although, you know, I've, I've gone rogue and I'm using my voice. I, I know this stuff. Like right. This is what I've, I've worked to do. So I'm going to try to make it where it's accessible to yeah. corporations. Well, accessibility is the key there. And the online yeah. course world is exploding. Yes. And it has been for the last couple of years. Yes. But when you think about how you can extend your message, you alone in physical, in your, your physical sense, mm -hmm. one person, you, you can only reach so far, right. right? But when you digitize that message and you put it in a, a digestible platform, um, you can reach tenfold, hundredfold. Yes. And that's, that's a powerful piece. Yeah. So I'm, I want to get it done. So I want to get a lot done. I just need, see, I have the, the, the wisdom and the courage at 52 yep. that I did not have when I was younger. Right. I just don't have the energy that I used to have. Yeah, right? right. So I can't pull the all nighters anymore. So that's the, you know, grab a Red that's Bull. That's the hard part. <laughs> like Red Bull after a while, even I'm like, I got to go to bed. I mean, I'm awake, but I'm not functioning. Well. Right. So yeah, that's the hard part. Well, the wealth of self is, again, all about finding those threads of humanity and the lessons we've taken away from the victories, but also the defeats. And if you were answering that question, what is true wealth to you, how would you respond? Mm. Time, because of my parents both passing young, I really believe in making great memories with yeah. good people, I make it a priority. And a lot of people say that, but people who know me say, no, this girl lives. I feel a responsibility to my parents to really embrace the life that they gave me. Mm -hmm. And I do that by living. I, I don't, I'm not waiting for one day. I don't wait for one day. I, the things I love, like traveling, mm -hmm. I do. The people I love know I love them. I, I'm, time is, is, and, and purpose. Mm -hmm. I, I'm more comfortable in my skin because I am walking in my purpose. Yeah. And so it really doesn't matter what other people think and feel, but I'm really walking in my purpose. I feel it. And so having a purpose and, but also not beating yourself up if you don't. Right. I remember, you it's know, a journey. <laughs> Oprah used to come out and say, you know, what color is your rainbow and things. And I what's wrong with me? I don't, I don't know what color my <laughs> rainbow is. I don't know anything. And, you know, yeah. it, it, it will come when it comes yeah. and just wait patiently and do as you just live, just continue to live. And you mm -hmm. will one day say, okay, I got it now. This is why I'm here. Yeah. This is why I want to be here. And this is what I want to do. Well, you have a wonderful message, and um, I know your parents are extraordinarily proud of you. Thank you. That can be said without a fault. Thank you. So thank you for coming on to The Wealth of Self and sharing your message. Uh, keep on doing what you're doing. You've got an awesome platform, an awesome voice, and I know a lot of people out there are very, very impacted positively. Well, well thank you for being kind enough to allow people like me to share their thank voices. You. Appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in to The Wealth of Self podcast. The audio-only version of these stories can be found on nearly every major podcast streaming platform from Spotify to Apple Podcasts and many, many more. Your support as we grow this movement is immensely appreciated. You can help us out by leaving a rating, writing a short review, or even sharing it with a friend or a loved one who you feel would benefit from hearing these stories. Finally, if you're interested in seeing the video interview that accompanies these stories, head over to our YouTube channel or our Facebook page for the full viewing experience. 
While you're there, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe or follow the channel, and share your thoughts in the comment section. For additional information on how to support The Wealth of Self, head over to www.wealthofself.com. Thank you so much for your viewership. We'll see you on the next one.